I wanted to share this story. So one of the things that I sometimes struggle with, my family still tease me about a time when there were lots of people walking by. It was quite busy and loud. And I could feel my eyes starting to water. I am grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protecting me. My entire being just shook. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Submissions Podcast where we bring you a new episode packed with stories from Muslims and our reflections. Thank you for joining us wherever you are, however you listen to podcasts. We hope this podcast continues to achieve its intentions of being a platform to explore and share stories from Muslims. Frequent listeners will know the stories are diverse and varied, some funny, some sad, but all of them with core lessons and reflections from Islam told in the voices of the Muslims who experience them. As always, between the stories, you will hear from a couple of members of the submissions team sharing thoughts and insights while stimulating discussion and reflection. We pray we continue to achieve all that we intend and more for the sake of Allah to whom we submit. Bismillah, this is Submissions. Assalamu alaikum, my name is Ayn. Assalamu alaikum, my name is Hania. And it's great to be back, and especially to be back with Ayn. How has your day been today, Ayn? Yeah, not bad. Had a full day at work, very busy, and the tube broke down in the morning, so I was late oh, to no. work. <laughs> but alhamdulillah. <laughs> How was your day? Alhamdulillah, it was good. It was the end of the financial year this year, which I've never really paid any attention to, but where I'm working what right now. What does that mean? right it just means that everybody's in a mad rush to submit everything financial so it was a busy busy day um sounds very serious yeah and then like I got an email from my boss saying you know look forward to working with you next year which I found so weird because I've never thought of (laughs) next year but (laughs) also we're recording this um like 10 days before Ramadan inshallah yes 10 days Roughly? Roughly, yeah, about that. Another Ramadan in semi-lockdown, but hopefully it's not yeah. as bad as last year, inshallah. But saying that, I had a lovely Ramadan in lockdown last year, so I'm really looking forward to what this Ramadan will bring. I think that's a really nice way to look at it, because I remember being nervous before last year's one as well, and I'm feeling a little bit nervous before this one too. Um, But I, yeah, I really enjoyed last year's Alhamdulillah as well. I had my... Um, grandmother as my roommate the whole month um, oh that really, sounds lovely <laughs> it was actually yeah it was really like a unique time to get to spend it ourselves and we had like a really sweet routine so, yeah I think I'll always like treasure that um like having that experience together but so yeah inshallah it will bring lots of goodness because I feel very spiritually dry and I need a Mm. a spiritual boost in Ramadan I think so today the title of this episode is the author we are going to listen to three inspiring stories about how Allah has written different unexpected storylines to our personal stories the first thing I think about when I hear the author is like this magazine I think that my mom used to subscribe to She's a writer, so then, so she had like a subscription to some kind of authoring collective or something. But the other connection that I make with the author is that penultimate ayah in Surah Kahaf for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala talks about 
if all the oceans were ink, then the words of Allah would never run dry. And I always love that ayah so much. But sometimes if I'm, you know, on, on a Friday, like struggling through Surah Kahf a little bit, knowing that I'll get to the ayah at the end of the surah is actually always like a bit of a motivating factor for me. Yeah, that's a complete motivation. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. When I think of the author, I've always like found a lot of comfort in words personally mm-hmm. I am not like a loud person I don't mm-hmm. talk a lot I'm quite quiet reserved and yeah. I find a lot of comfort in written words mm-hmm. so I love reading and I love writing my emotions internally makes more sense in written form than it is in my brain right so that's what I think of when I hear the author but ultimately I'm reminded that the author of everything, of all languages, of all words, of all characters, of all words, not mm-hmm. even like like Roman or like Mandarin letters, Japanese letters, Sanskrit mm-hmm. is all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, mm-hmm. and it's just so vast. I find a lot of comfort in them. Right. I don't think I'm necessarily great at expressing myself in the written form. It's something that I have, um, especially in the last few years, used as a you know a tool um and the way that you described the aim in terms of like you know working through your emotions or trying to understand the situation um but I also yeah love reading and especially when I was younger I would just like inhale books when I was a kid and I miss I have I have a lot of nostalgia for that ability that I felt feel like I had it's very difficult yeah. now to actually sit down and read a book without being distracted it's so true and it bugs me that yeah. So the first story for this episode comes from Ezrin. She is 27 and she lives in Malaysia. She is a data scientist and she also, fun fact, is my sister. <laughs> Let's hear from her, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum everyone. My name is Ezrin. I'm a data scientist from Malaysia. The story that I would like to share with everyone today happened a couple of years ago. I was in university in London. The weather was like any other day. Cold, dark, gloomy, and with a tinge of rain. It was a weather that makes you want to wrap yourself in a blanket and curl up in a ball, maybe with a mug of tea, or snooze. However, I couldn't do that that day. I was attending university lectures. Long hours and endless lines of maths needed my attention. My stomach rumbled for the nth time that day, and I could feel my throat drying up. Hot tea sounds really good right now, I thought to myself. Maybe something sweet too. My eyes darted towards the water bottle in the side pocket of my bag and in the front pocket where I had a couple of chocolate pieces. I catch myself reaching out towards the bag and I quickly looked away. I closed my eyes. You're fasting, Ezrin. Focus, I said to myself. I looked at the clock. Just a couple more hours. Classes ended late 
into the evening that day. By that time, my brain was fried, and my stomach was grumbling through the roof. I just wanted to go home and have my iftar. I looked at the time. It was less than an hour away until Maghrib. I didn't think I would have made it back in time. I might have had to have iftar on the train. Looking at the large crowd of people heading towards the station, I stopped in my tracks. There was a possibility I might arrive back even later. Then a thought came into my mind. Why don't I just pray Maghrib in the university's prayer room instead? I could have my iftar while I wait. So I turned around and headed back to the university. While I was walking, I realized that I didn't have any dates with me. Breaking your fast with a date was, and still is, a sunnah of our Prophet wasallam that I cherish very deeply. What were the chances I might get them in Tesco, I thought, and headed inside the store. I searched all over the store, but to my dismay, they didn't have any in stock. Well, I wasn't completely surprised. It wasn't exactly the time of year to be having them available, especially in small stores like the one I was in. I came out of the store with my head down and started walking to the prayer room. I should have just bought some dates earlier, but where was I going to even find some? I thought. I looked in my bag. Well, alhamdulillah, at least I still had my water bottle with me. There were many people in the prayer room that day, more than I've seen during previous visits. I took my wudu, picked a prayer mat, and sat down at an empty spot. There was a girl next to me, and I don't remember how we started talking, but we just did. She was asking me about my course, I was asking her about her course, and somehow during our conversation she asked me whether I was fasting. I answered, I was, feeling slightly surprised by the question. She then asked whether I had any date uh, to have iftar with. I said, I didn't. I was sad, I didn't. She looked at my gradually teary eyes when she said, I have some. I looked at her with my eyes wide open and watched her as she unzipped her bag. She pulled out a torn packet of dates. Thank you so much, I told her, thinking that she would only give me one. I was happy with one. But before I knew it, she reached out her arm and handed me the whole packet. I was really surprised. I told her I was already grateful with just one piece. I couldn't possibly take the whole bag. She shook her head and smiled. Take it, she said, and then quickly zipped up her bag. I looked at her and I could feel my eyes 
starting to water. I thanked her again and told her I was extremely grateful for the kind gesture. She said, it was nothing. A couple of minutes later, the azan was heard and I happily gobbled down a piece of date. I really couldn't have had imagined something like this to happen to me. Besides, how many people would have a bag of dates in their bags and gave you all of it? Especially when you, you really wanted and needed it. It was truly a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ayn, since um, Ezra is your sister, do you uh, remember when this happened? Did she tell you the story at the time? No, she didn't. And I was um, quite surprised to hear this from her. I know she has lots of encounters with strangers. She's uh-huh. um, the opposite of me. She loves talking to strangers while I just like recoil and not <laughs> and be like, please don't, don't keep eye contact with me. Right. So, um, so I'm not surprised that she just made friends in like random places. But mm-hmm. what I loved about the story is that just despite just meeting for a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. like somehow you, she got to a place where like two strangers are sharing food. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I found really beautiful was how. It was already in her head about those dates and she was wondering whether she should go to the local supermarket to get some dates mm-hmm. to open her fast. And then somehow the stranger asked her, are you fasting? And handed her a few dates. Yeah. And it's just wonderful how Allah knows what's in your heart without you even expressing it or making a specific du'a for it. Mm. Clearly, those dates were already written for her. And it mm. was just that stranger in the prayer room was the vehicle yeah. for her to get those dates. And how this unnamed stranger, which she, I don't think she even remembers her name specifically, mm. has made such an impact on Ezrin. Right. And I always love those like small stories of these, like what feels like coincidences almost at the time. Or like yeah. small random acts of kindness. Or sometimes we can think of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answering our du'as or answering our wishes in really big ways. Um, but I think that when you notice those moments where he fulfills something that you had in your heart, even though you think it must, it's something that's in your mind quite trivial, they're just really beautiful affirmations and confirmations of, of faith and of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's um, you know, hand in our affairs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know for a fact because I'm I'm away from home and I haven't been home for like eighteen months. Right. And um, at this point, she was at university away from home too. So right. it's easier to like make friends or befriend a stranger where it's familiar surroundings. Right. And being away from home meant that you treasure these kind of encounters even more because you you don't naturally connect to other people that are different from you that's such a yeah that's a really beautiful perspective that I didn't have on it when I was listening to it but it did definitely make me 
um, really nostalgic for the prayer room and the kind of environment that those places foster of closeness and connectivity that you don't get just if you'd met the same person say on a bus or something yeah just being under that roof where you know why you're there is something that allows people to connect I think yeah more quickly and more closely I remember being handed food so many times by random people and also handed like very strange things (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like a, like foreign painkillers and things like this <laughs> in the prayer room during university years but yeah yeah I remember all of it was a lot of fun second fun fact is yeah. Tanya and I <laughs> went to the same university and that's how we met so yeah. I think a lot of our memories together revolved around the prayer hut in yep. UCL <laughs> a hut specifically it wasn't just a room <laughs> yeah our next storyteller Asma also talks to us about a university experience and in this case it was her journey to Islam or to becoming more connected to Islam This story is about my personal journey Um, (laughs) I wouldn't say journey it was more like a very rough wake up call alhamdulillah from being how I considered myself a cultural Muslim to someone who is more practicing and inshallah tries to center Islam and growing closer to Allah um, in my day-to-day life. But from before, I was very interested in justice and politics always. That's always been a, a primary factor in like a lot of the work I do, but Islam really wasn't there. Um, I had faith, but it wasn't really implemented. I had deep faith in Allah always, but I mean, I wasn't really praying. Ramadan was like, you know, my halal haram ratio was just like a lot more haram. And I think I was using a lot of like the oppression and injustices from the community as excuses rather than trying to see past the wrongs of our community and that those don't have a faith base. But I just kind of wanted to follow my own desires. But yeah, I mean, alhamdulillah, Allah had different plans for me. I ended up moving to Berlin I went to a public policy school to think about ways to streamline more Syrian refugees into the German education system. Um, my best friend also lived there, so it was just like a win-win situation. I kind of was like, yeah, okay, this is cool. Like my next phase in life is just like I'm going to live in Germany forever. Yeah, I mean, I went on a trip, really. I started to really bear witness to the structural and um, institutionalized problems that a lot of these higher education policy schools not only feed into but legitimize there is no concept of doing righteous work right it's a lot of like liberal rhetoric and trying to rationalize your own solution to implement it in a community that we fundamentally cannot understand because you cannot serve people that you do not know that you you know i don't know what it's like to grow up in poverty and so it really started to seem very ridiculous to me that you know, we are reading all of these like academic texts by a lot of like white people telling us like how to how to go about this or that, but like we actually weren't understanding. And that giving myself a legal and a political language to a lot of these problems was just feeling inherently wrong. I was getting like a sick feeling in my stomach. It didn't feel like it was righteous work anymore. And um, I started to see that my presence even in that program was um, legitimizing the system and legitimizing this abusive authority over the communities that I, you know, so-called wanted to serve. So one of these days I went home, I was just really angry. I was becoming super frustrated. There was so much racism on campus too. Like I was constantly speaking out about something and it was just driving me crazy that I felt like I was 
I don't know, like in <laughs> some sort of weird twilight zone where people didn't actually sincerely care about others. And I decided to pray because I had to calm down. And, and I decided to read Surah Salak in that prayer. And as I was praying, something just <laughs> struck me. I really can't articulate what happened in that moment, but it was like my entire being just shook. I I felt like something had just like, I don't know, struck a nerve or something. And I went into sujood and I was getting this like extremely overwhelmed feeling. I got out of my prayer, like I finished my prayer and I looked up the surah and I discovered that this was the surah that was first revealed. And I had no idea that when Jibreel told the Rasul Iqra read, it had come from this surah. And I just thought like, wow, this is my own history, my own faith, my truth. And I don't even know its source. Like I've allowed myself to be defined by Western narratives that are Islamophobic and are not my own. It just, it like shocked me. I, I I don't know, I really, it hit me in that moment that like there is so little I actually know about my faith. I'm just following my own desires and trying to like do my own thing without actually trying to dig deeper, without actually trying to, you know, approach the Quran in humility as like with the knowledge that this is Allah's book, this is Allah's words and these words will change me. And I never approached the Quran in that kind of way before. Um, I'd never even read it in full. And over the course of the next month, I was just having so many dreams. I would see something that would come true. It was like crazy. It was just like string of of signs. Um, I started to freak out. I really thought I was going crazy. And one of these days where I was just like really on edge, I thought I was going to lose it. I opened up the Quran to a random chapter. And the chapter I opened up to was um, Surah Al-Qalam. And the second ayah of that surah, like the first ayah I see when I'm looking is... And like, indeed by the Lord's grace, like you're not a madman. And I just started sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And all of a sudden it hit me that Islam is truth. The Quran, there's so much beauty in giving yourself a language, the language that Allah SWT has given us to connect to each other through faith, to understand how important Tawheed and Tawbah is, and to not let our narratives be defined by people who, you know, fundamentally do not, aren't interested in justice or in understanding us. And by the end of that month, you know, I prayed istikhara and I was reflecting on what I was doing at my school and thinking about like, okay, there's so many things that I know are against my own values and my own faith and my own journey. And yet here I am still in this program. What do I have more faith in? These liberal structures that keep trying to tell me how this policy is going to bring more justice, although I know it won't. Or am I going to take a leap of faith and do something for the sake of Allah, even if it doesn't make sense to people? And so now I am a dropout, which is low-key pretty clutch. Um, Alhamdulillah, I'm super grateful and I'm just trying to cultivate a more sincere relationship with Allah and trying to grow closer to Him um, every single day and think about, you know, how do I refuse to compromise on my faith and how do I actually gain strength from Islam and watch out for, you know, people constructing a story that isn't mine? Yeah, I think it's really important to pay attention to who wields the pen. And if we are always in defense, that means we're never writing the story. So we can't always be in defense and looking to these like liberal saviors to tell us how to figure it out. 
Allah has sent down the Quran. The Sharia is a flexible system. There's so many alternative avenues that we aren't stepping into. And I mean, I hope, I really hope that the future is just a bunch of leaps of faiths for the sake of Allah and that we always prostrate ourselves and prioritize prayer and resistance in our lives. So that was a really interesting story. Yeah. The first thing that came to my mind was how brave she would have been to study public policy and work in human rights. I yeah. think her innate bravery to work in activism is something that I really admire because, as I said previously, I'm a very quiet person and quite reserved <laughs> and I tend to admire people who can stand up for others in a, in a very public way. What do you think, Hania? I mean, I think brave is such a good word. I think this whole story embodies so much courage and I felt it was really powerful and I think that it showed the journey that being courageous can lead you on and how that can be quite life-changing, um, which I found pretty, pretty inspiring too. I like what you said about you know specifically kind of working in that field I could identify with some of the critiques that she was mentioning about the kind of work that she was doing because I've studied well partly studied international development and I remember you know you have these moments of discomfort where you feel like the people or the the people that are in an oppressed situation or that are in a um, challenging environment or whatever it may be they're kind of seen as the subjects or recipients or something like that and it was it always created a little bit of like cognitive dissonance where you could you felt like wait can I identify more with these people because often they're Muslims you know always the people of color um, yeah rather than actually those that I'm learning with or those that I'm being taught by yeah and what kind of power structures are we playing into here and yeah so I, I I thought it was really, firstly, brave to take that critical step and how how much it affected her emotionally and mentally, I think, uh-huh. really shows like how seriously she was taking those critiques and how much she was really reflecting on the situation, um, which is which I think is something that is really beautiful and Islamic thing to do in all aspects yeah. of our lives, but sometimes we limit it and don't have that kind of perspective in the work that we're doing or in the in the kind of like quote-unquote quote secular world yeah and so the way that she was bringing that reflective perspective to her, her work and her study I thought was was really brilliant to hear yeah because this brings me back to during my third year I did an integrated degree in philosophy Ooh. mainly because I didn't uh, well I'm I did a medical degree Right. And I for this integrated degree, I didn't want to do lab work. So the best thing right. that the best option that I went for was to study philosophy. So during that year, what I learned was no one can agree on anything. So everyone has their own point of view just because they are brought up in different circumstances. Mm-hmm. And most of what we 
learned was from the Western perspective because all the books are authored by these a certain group of people who are not representative of the world, but mm-hmm. they are being used as the canon. So I remember being very confused because this person says this, this person says this, but it doesn't make coherent sense. So in the end, my thesis was actually about what is scientific truth. And in Mm -hmm. the end, I just said what scientific truth is what is useful at that time. But truth, truth is what was written by God. And I wrote that in my piece. Did you actually? (laughs) Wow. Because I used to Because, yeah, I wrote it in my introduction. Because, like, there's divine truth and there is human truth. Yeah. That was why I came in the conclusion. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. no one can, even the definition of truth, no one can agree on what it is. So, and and what what is true now doesn't mean that it's true in 50 years' time. Mm -hmm. So, in the end whatever that is in the Quran is true because it was authored by Allah. And that was Mm -hmm. my conclusion. So in this long-winded journey that I went through, um, (laughs) I kind of went through a a journey arc similar to Asma, where you just sit down with the Quran and it just makes sense because it's universally, it just touches everyone the same. And mm-hmm. it, it just rings true because this the words in the Quran can't be authored by anyone else. Right, and that's what like prevails. Yeah, Asma's story, I don't think it's a um like a long winded link at all. Her story is uh, like a really beautiful embodiment or of that idea or that um duality where you know you can't find the kind of divine perfection or divine truth in the systems that humans create and the way that we relate to each other. It's only in the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where we can get that. And I think that that comfort, because it is a stressful thing for the heart to try and be, um, Uh you know, continuously figuring out what reality is or what, you know, what truth is or what, what's ethical what's moral or what you know what the correct path is to take um yeah trying to figure it out yourself without actually referring to what the original author Mm -hmm. has written because um, we are trying to figure out things it's like looking at one pixel of a picture and trying to figure out what the picture is yes exactly yeah. Yeah. And Asma mentioned in her story Surah Al Alaq, which is amazing surah. Um mm-hmm. and she she said that it was the first uh, verses that came down to Rasulullah. So I'll just read um the translation. Mm-hmm. It says, In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful, read in the name of your Lord who has created all that exists. He has created man from a clot. Read, and your Lord is the most generous, who has taught the writing by the pen, 
he has taught men that which he knew not. Nay, verily man does transgress because he considers himself self-sufficient. So what really got me is the last bit where mm-hmm. Allah says he considers himself self-sufficient. And that really hits home because I, yeah. I, I always think that I am in control of my destiny. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I know what's best for me and yeah. in an arrogant way, I just feel like I have the power. But um, it's so plainly in this in this surah that it is Allah who taught us how to write and to read and he is the owner of all things. Right, subhanAllah, and he gave us those faculties. And as you, as you were saying that, you know, you feel like you're always in control of your destiny. I think that's um, something that I reflected on in Asma's story where she took control as well as surrendered to the control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think that there's, that's not a contradiction in the uh-huh. sense of being, once she was, um, you know, more connected to that divine reality, that's what led her to break free of the, the kind of system that she was in and to have that control over what she's doing, what she's investing her time in. Um, what she's being complicit in as well and and to have that level of and to have that level of um, agency over um, what you're doing and why you're doing it I think is a manifestation of that divine wisdom being brought into her life in a more connected way yeah, so just my last point in terms yeah. of our discussion of self-sufficiency and the myth of self-sufficiency. I really love this quote that an Ustad told me, you're only as weak as your dependence on yourself and you're only as strong as your dependence on Allah. Wow. And I love that because, mm. I mean, Allah has the most, is the most powerful and is all-knowing, is all-hearing. He knows what's best for you. So if you surrender, it doesn't mean you're weak. It means that you are strong. And the more that you depend on yourself for um, peace, for happiness, mm-hmm. it is the wrong way to go, really. Yeah, it's just like a recipe for um, the stress that we cause ourselves, definitely. I think that's, yeah. a, that's such a beautiful thought to end on. So the next story is equally as beautiful, inshallah. Sure. So the next story is actually from my dad. Um, and oh, it's the family affair today. Uh, and he talks about a time that I can't actually really remember. It was when I was pretty young. Let's hear from Uncle Asad, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Many years ago, I lost my job when the dot-com bubble burst. I was out of work for months. I filled in dozens of applications, but no interviews at all. Many people perhaps would identify that in today's environment. I contacted a friend and a former manager. I knew he was quite senior in a company, and he offered me a very lucrative role in his IT department with many perks to the job. 
So I thought about it overnight, but I declined it the next day. I'll explain why a little later. Soon after that, my uncle came to visit. I was helping him with one of his writing projects. He stayed overnight and we finished the work together. As we finished, I offered to drop him home. And while driving back, he asked me how were things at home with no income. I told him, alhamdulillah, we were managing okay. But I did tell him about the job offer and why I turned it down. So he told me a story about some fishermen. They would go out to fish every day, but stop for salah. Other fishermen around them didn't, and they would catch many fish. And these poor Muslim fishermen were often left empty-handed. So one day, they decided to follow the example of the other fishermen, and they delayed their salah. And they caught many fish, even more than other fishermen. But they were uneasy about what they had done, so they threw all the fish back in the sea and went home empty-handed again, resolving never to skip their salah for fish or anything worldly of that nature. The next day they went out and did exactly what they would normally do when they stopped for salah. But this time they caught even more fish than they had ever done before. A couple of weeks later, I was invited to an interview in a company I was quite interested in. Alhamdulillah, after several rounds of interview, I was offered the job and I'm still in that job 19 years later. One of the unwritten perks was a good Muslim community with prayer facilities and a good brotherhood, which is something I've always enjoyed in that role. So why did I turn down the other job? I found out that it was part of a group of media companies. The business was un-Islamic, as was the work culture, and one of the perks was free copies of the tabloid that they printed. I am grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protecting me, and to my uncle for telling me the story of the fishermen at such a crucial time. I hope you find some benefit in this story and that small experience of mine from so many years ago. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Firstly, Hania, your dad's voice is so <laughs> heartwarming. I love hearing like stories from dads because it reminds me of my own dad. Yeah, definitely. When um, you know, when I asked for a story, it was the first thing I was thinking was that 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 he was a good storyteller because it's something that yeah I grew up with too. So, <laughs> and how um, how old were you when um this happened? I must have been around like five or six years old. Um, so uh, like just at the beginning of primary school. So what I really loved about your dad's story is, again, bravery was a big aspect in this story in the sense that when you don't have a job and you have a family to take care of, mm -hmm. especially financially take care of, you tend to take whatever job that comes in your path. Right. And how your dad said no 
to the job that could have provided a very cushy lifestyle for you <laughs> and your family right. because it didn't align with the Islamic teachings right. is actually an act to be really admired because I don't think a lot of, a, a lot of people would have just taken the job. And also when the other uncle asked your dad, how is he? And he says, Alhamdulillah, we are okay. Or other people would have said, oh, we're, we're financially struggling at the moment. It's not good. But in the, even in, the, in difficult times, your dad said, first and foremost, Alhamdulillah. Like there are so many things to be grateful for despite the struggles. And sometimes you're grateful for the struggles as well because it makes like good times a little bit sweeter that's a really interesting point to be grateful during a struggle as well too yeah it's very difficult to do yeah one thing that I really liked in this was the story within the story and I think that that's something that has been like a hallmark of the advice that I've been given from elders has often been that they give it they'll give you direct advice but often they'll just tell you another scenario or or kind of fable or type thing and you know exactly the point that they're trying to illustrate but they're illustrating it in this in this in a kind of indirect way and which often kind of gets really to the heart of the values or the morals or the teaching that they're that they're trying to convey to you yeah and coming back to your point I think the only way that your dad could have passed on the first job that he was offered is that he had faith like strong faith has already written something better for him that faith and that trust is just something that we all should have that you know there's always in islam like you're trying to be find a balance between hope and fear and so i think mm-hmm. what you've spoken to having that trust that there's something better um really is that that hope aspect um but I th- it's also important to you know understand that we're supposed to fear allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and um, fear the our interactions with people and the effect, the effect that the impact that we're having on the world uh, mm. on on people around us um, because we will have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, for that eventually and I think that's something that both my dad's and Asma's story spoke to is that you know Asma it was very it was very clear she didn't want to do injustice to people she didn't want to do wrong um, mm-hmm. by by the people that you know she was supposed to be doing humanitarian work for and in my dad's case like it was the the company was one you know he, he mentioned like tabloid staffing mm-hmm. which is something that you know is continuously maligning people's people's rights and people's privacy and you know lying and doing mm-hmm. these terrible things you know as muslims you know that's not our ethics and that is not the the type of uh, interactions we want to be having with people the impact that we want to be having on people mm-hmm. and and fearing Allah in our interactions with people is something that helps us to stay on the straight and narrow, so to speak. Yeah. And then your dad's story about the fish and the fishermen and how Mm. one group prayed on time and the other group didn't pray on time, that really hit home because I find myself at work always delaying my prayers (laughs) and trying to pray on time and struggling and how we should always aspire to put Allah first and know that like going back to the self-sufficiency that we've talked about Mm. in Surah Al-Alaq 
like one group of fishermen thought that the harder they work, the more fish they will get, as opposed to right. you will get the fish that has already been written for you by Allah. So right. you should pray to Allah to give him the fish. So that brings us to the end of today's podcast that we hope that you've enjoyed listening to the three beautiful stories as much as we enjoyed discussing them. What are some of your key points that you're taking home today, Hania? My key takeaways are that when you try and take notice of the small things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants you that were in your heart, that's a way of really connecting to him in your everyday life. My other, I think, key takeaway is that forging a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give you the kind of courage is difficult to find uh, by yourself. Part of that courage is in surrendering to his will. So the biggest lesson that I've learned through our discussion is that we all have books that have been specifically written for you. Mm. So I will have to learn to trust that the author of authors, the greatest playwright story writer Mm -hmm. of all time has written my story and to just trust that the story is a good story inshallah and the story will continue in even after we die in a place better than here in a time better than here so whatever bad times that we go through there is a reason whatever tough times that we go through Mm -hmm. it has already been written and I just have to trust the process. We love being able to share this podcast with you, but it's only possible with the help of your wonderful and insightful stories. So please get in touch via our website, www.submissionspodcast.com. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our social media at Submissions Podcast on Instagram. Jazakallah khair for listening. Until next time, this was Submissions. Mm-hmm.